So before I start preaching, I just want us to, to pause a moment and pray about COVID. Um, it's, it's been with us now for how long? 50 years or something? It feels like that, doesn't it? And just, it, you know, it's affected some people very lightly. It's affected some people very intensely. It has polarized people. It has made people not love each other anymore. It has done all sorts of things to our world. And perhaps it's a really great moment to ask God to do what God does and to heal not just individuals who need healing, but our world that needs healing. And so, God, we present to you this need that we have as your family, as your children, as your creation. And we present the reality of COVID to you. And, God, we pray for people that have been profoundly affected by it. Lord, we pray and acknowledge people who've lost their lives to the disease. Lord, we pray for, for the loved ones who, who must grieve. Lord, we pray for people who have lost their jobs because of this disease, whether it be because of economic downturn or because of their own ill health or because of mandates in workplaces. Lord, there's been so many competing priorities. God, we present our healthcare system to you, our politicians. God, we pray that, that everybody who's involved in combating this disease will, will do it out of love for their fellow human beings and out of service to society and not use um, this worldwide problem as an opportunity to promote themselves or to enrich themselves. God, we, we pray for our healthcare professionals, whether they're doing counseling or nursing or diagnosing or research. Uh, God, we present ourselves to you. Thank you, Lord, that you have protected the majority of us from severe disease. But Lord, we acknowledge those who have been incredibly sick and we thank you that you have brought so many through this. Lord, your word tells us that we should give thanks in all circumstances, and it's kind of hard to give thanks for this, Lord. That's true. But Lord, we must acknowledge we have seen you bring good out of this. And so, God, we pray that, that COVID will, will be a thing of the past soon, but that in, in its struggles your name will be glorified and your people will rise up and, and be your hands and feet. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're back with Acts 29 and uh, this is the last time for a little bit that we're going to focus on there. We'll get back to another chapter of Acts later on in the year. We're going to be in and out of Acts 29. But this morning we're going to be focusing on chapter 10. And as I've read chapter 10, there have been lots of questions, but one of the big questions that chapter 10 asks and answers for me is this. Who does God want us to welcome? Who does God want us? And I mean by us, our church family here and his whole church family everywhere in the world. Who does God want us to welcome? Now, the truth is that I think almost every church 
at some point either has a sign or, or makes a statement that all are welcome, that everybody is welcome here. But the truth is, as I've journeyed in that, I've discovered that pretty much every church has something there that says T's and C's apply. Terms and conditions apply. I can remember visiting with a friend in South Carolina, which has lots of churches in it. And I remember seeing this little church, and I can't remember the exact name of the church, which is probably a good thing. I also, um, yeah. And the, the church sign outside said, whatever the name of the church, Independent Baptist Church, King James only, dispensational, premillennial, fundamentalist, and three or four other, what are those things called? Adjectives, eh? And then underneath it said, all welcome. And I remember thinking, I don't think so. And it's easy to point to a church like that. But the truth is that even our church, that every church excludes people and says right up front to people, we say all welcome, but, but we're going to act in ways that perhaps make you not welcome. And the truth is sometimes we don't do it on purpose. We genuinely don't. But sometimes we do. And is that what God wants? Does God want us to have our filters way up front? Or should those filters come much later in the process? You see, as I read Acts chapter 10, I discover that not only for us, but for that early church as well, all welcome is easy to say, but very, very hard, and sometimes quite dangerous to actually do. To actually take that all welcome and put it into practice is truly very hard, and actually sometimes quite risky and dangerous. The truth is, almost all churches are good at welcoming the easy and the obvious. And different churches, depending on where they are and their theology and that kind of stuff, are diff- have different easy and obvious people that they welcome. And, and, and the early church was no exception. Last week we read Acts, most of Acts chapter 9, and we read about Paul's conversion, and we discussed those really hard questions that God asked Paul and the other believers about how far are they willing to go to be part of this kingdom, how hard are they willing to allow God to be on them, and how how much they're willing to change so that God can work in and through them. And so we didn't finish Acts chapter 9, actually, because it goes from Paul's story to some stuff about Peter. Peter's kind of the the chief apostle at that point. He's the head of the church, and and he's doing what he's doing. He's traveling around, and he's preaching, and and the truth is he's connecting with so many people that are easy and obvious. And so at the end of chapter 9, we discover that Peter is in a place called Lydda, and then later on in a place called Joppa. And God is doing amazing things with him as he's working with disciples, as he's working with people that are easy and obvious. 
He connects with them and God does amazing things. We read in Acts chapter nine, verse 36, in Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek her name was Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. And we read there that she becomes very sick. And so people go to Paul, Peter and say, please come and pray for her. And by the way, she's an amazing person. You really should pray for her because she's done so much for us. She cares for us. She makes clothes for us. So, so Peter, we don't have to convince you. You must come. This lady is a disciple and she's a nice person and she's kind and she's loving. So come and pray for her. And so that's the situation. And there's nothing wrong with that. Truly, God wants us, obviously, to welcome the people that normally are easy to welcome. And so Peter's doing that. But now, Peter's about to discover that while that is good, and while it's right that he does that, that it is truly wonderful that God is doing the amazing work amongst the obvious and the easy to welcome. It's not enough for God. That that's not far enough like we discovered last week. That God's kingdom and God's heart for welcoming goes far beyond the easy and the obvious. And I want to say that up front, this is a risky message. It's hard to preach and it's going to be hard to listen to because the same was true for Peter. It was hard. But God in chapter 10 gives Peter a lesson in all welcome. Not just the easy ones, not just the kind ones, not just the nice ones, not just the ones who are ready disciples, not just the ones like you. But this lesson in all are welcome. Truly, you would think Peter had already got that. Peter was part of the early church. He was a disciple of Jesus. You'd think that he would understand that Jesus, when he meant everybody, he meant everybody. Because he was with Jesus when he talked to Samaritan woman, when he, when he allowed himself, his feet to be kissed by somebody who shouldn't, when he went into Zacchaeus's house, when he went into Pharisee's house, he was there when, he, when the, the people criticized Jesus and said he, he, he's a, he, he welcomes sinners and eats with them which was saying he's not just nice to them when he walks past them in the street, but he actually hangs out with them. You would think that that Peter would already know this because he would know about the story of the Ethiopian eunuch, I think back in chapter 8, where Philip baptizes into the church this Ethiopian who, who was an envoy of a foreign nation, who was, who was a different color, he was a black person. And, and, and you think he would understand that God is saying, guys, when I say all, I mean all. But he still hasn't got it. Because it's truly hard. It's truly hard. And so he takes, God takes Peter on this journey in Acts chapter 10. And it starts like this, Acts 10 verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. So this man, is he, an angel appears to him. He has this vision that says, listen, you must send some of your guys to Joppa. There's a guy called Peter there. He's staying at the Simon the Tanner's house. And, and you must fetch that man. And he must come to you because I've seen all the good things you've done. 
and he's got something he needs to tell you. And so the Roman centurion does that. In the meantime, Peter is waiting for lunch. Literally, the next day, while these guys are on the way, Peter is waiting for lunch. He's up on the roof of the house, and he's hungry. And he falls into a trance, and he has this dream of this sheet coming down, and all sorts of animals coming off of the sheet. And in the, in the vision, the voice says to him, kill and eat. And he's like, hey, no. I'm def- I've never eaten anything unclean. I'm not going to do it. And then God says to him, hey, don't say something is unclean if I've said it's clean. It happens three times, and afterwards Peter wakes up and he's like, what was that about? It says so there, he's like, he's confused. Was I just really, really much hungrier than I thought I was? And so it doesn't say that, but you know, he's wondering, did I just have this dream because I'm so hungry that I'll eat anything right now? And so he's puzzling about it. And then these guys arrive, and they invite him to come across. And he goes, oh, maybe, maybe this is the thing. And so he goes with a whole lot of other believers, and they spend time in that house, and he tells them about Jesus, and they accept Jesus as their savior. The Holy Spirit comes on them, and everybody freaks out. It is amazing. But... It's a long, long road for Peter to take in his heart between there and the end of that chapter. And so as he, as he, as he contemplates this centurion, there could have been all sorts of reasons for him to say, I'm not going to do it. There could have been all sorts of reasons that came into his mind to go, I can't do this. One of the first reasons would, I think, have been a moral reason. A moral reason. This guy is a Roman centurion. The Romans were the people that killed Jesus. The Romans were the people that imposed peace by force. If you weren't peaceful, they made you peaceful. The Romans were were part of the military that massacred lots of Jews. And this guy was a centurion. In other words, he was extremely high up. He wasn't just a foot soldier that was following orders. He was one of those people that had done bad things, possibly ordered tortures, certainly ordered killings. And so there would be a moral reason for him to say, I can't. Uh, He's part of the Italian regiment. He's he's actually a Roman by birth. And he's part of the enemy. And he's a centurion. I can't. He's an immoral person. Another reason potentially for exclusion, and quite a valid reason, would be a political reason. The politics at the time was difficult. And, And the Romans were part of the oppressive regime. They were part of those that were were standing on the necks, not only of, of, of those in Judea, but all around the world. And so it would be easy to say, but but that group, God, because of politics, can't possibly be you can't possibly mean to connect us. We see this right now in our world. Republicans and Democrats in America. 
those on the left and on the right. I grew up in a country that for political reasons said, those people are not welcome here. I mean, it's okay, they can, you know, they can, they can still worship God there, but not here. We don't, we don't want to interfere, we don't want to get involved in politics, that's that. And so there was a very real potential reason to exclude because of the politics of the day. God, surely you can't meet the Romans, man. These are the people that killed Jesus. There would also most certainly be theological reasons. I mean, the guy has quite a nice pedigree up front because it says he and all his family were devout and God-fearing. So like, God, John, don't be so hard on this oak. I mean, he's already God-fearing, but the question is, which God was he fearing? Which God was he fearing? And, and uh, when you study the, the history of the world at that time, you discover that maybe he wasn't actually fearing Yahweh. Maybe he had in his brain, because of his cultural upbringing and the world that he was living in, a syncretistic view. Maybe kind of he blended gods. In fact, there's some quite good evidence that that's probably the reality. Some historians tell us this, that in Judea, there, was no problem of, there, was no, there were no problems of religious tolerance, except in the case of the zealots. They weren't tolerated, but most other people got on with it. Since, thanks to the interpretatio gracia exported by the Macedonians, it was possible to identify Calus, a Roman god, or Uranus, his Greek equivalent, and Yahweh as the supreme god himself, allowing, converse, allowing conversion cases like Cornelius. See what is happening? He didn't yet understand who Yahweh was. He probably still had in his mind that the, the, you know, this Roman God that I worship and the Greek God, they're all the same. And so it would be easy for that early church to say, you see, theologically this guy doesn't think like us, he's not welcome. There are other potential theological exclusions. Peter names one in verse 28. Then he said to them, you are all well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. And Peter would have had place to point to in Scripture and say, you, my law says it is immoral for me to do that. Theologically, I'm going to have to give up a whole lot of stuff. I'm going to have to admit that I'm wrong theologically in order to welcome that person. And, I, and, and, and people are afraid to do it. I want to be honest with all of us that I don't think that these exclusions are necessarily intentional. Sadly, sometimes they are. But sometimes they just happen because of who we think God loves. And so, so we, we end up being potentially like those early Christians. And part of the reason often that we exclude people is not just for all those reasons. Sometimes we exclude people because we want to keep the church united. We don't want to stir up trouble. And Peter would have been in exactly the same position. Here's this brand new church. God, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, it's quite delicate at the moment, God. This is a difficult time. And if, I, if these Romans start joining, what's going to happen? 
Sadly, the truth is sometimes church unity is code for, God, I don't want those people because it's gonna, they're going to make me uncomfortable. God, I don't want those people because it's going to go against my preferences. God, I don't want those people because, because my opinions are more valid than them. Peter was not wrong in having these thoughts. If we go to chapter 11, we read immediately, the apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of an uncircumcised man and ate with them. Wow, how could you possibly do that? You've compromised same people, same words, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So is it better to then say, well, okay, we don't actually welcome everybody because it gets messy. It gets uncomfortable. We're afraid of theological compromise. And it, sometimes it may be legitimate. Sometimes it may be legitimate fear. But is it okay then to say, well, T's and C's apply. If chapter 10 teaches us anything, it teaches us this, that, that it is wrong. That for God, T's and C's do not apply. That as his people, he truly does want us to welcome everybody. Really, John? Yes, really. Who is it that God wants us to welcome? This passage tells us that God wants us to welcome everyone who is seeking God. We are to welcome everybody who is seeking God. Here's what's, what's a bit of a challenge in that, is sometimes they don't even know they're seeking God. Sometimes they don't even know the God they're seeking. They can't articulate it, like the centurion. He knew there was something. He'd been worshiping God and he'd been, being, he'd been a good person. But God wanted him to know who it was. And the only place he could find that out was connecting with God's people. He was never going to find out the truth if he stayed out there and was kept at arm's length. And so God wants us to welcome everyone who is seeking God. Peter himself says it in Acts 10 verse 34. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. He accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Even when that person isn't sure who the God is that they're seeking. Because the only place they can learn it is when they're part of, part of a family that journeys with them. But I believe that God takes us even a step further than that. You see, it's not only everyone who's seeking God that should be welcomed, but it was also everyone God is seeking. Everyone that God is seeking. You see, sometimes people don't know that they're looking for God. But this Bible tells us that God is looking for them. We read that in 2 Peter 3.9. We read that passage last week. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. 
Now, here's the big question for all of us. Our question that we need to ask ourselves is, who's not welcomed at our church family? Who's not welcomed? Who do we have T's and C's applied to? Let me say this right up front, because it's going to get uncomfortable right now. We're not talking about the fact that from time to time we exclude people just because in a moment we did something stupid or said something stupid. We don't mean to exclude those people. We're not talking about that. For all of us at some point feel left out. But we're talking about people who genuinely as a group of people constantly feel like they can't be with us or part of us. And this list is quite long and it's based on research. We've gone and we've talked to members of our family and we've talked to people in our neighborhood. We've talked to other churches and we've said, who is it that that feels for some reason or another that that church is not a place where they can come to and be welcomed. And as I go through this list, perhaps take a moment to say, yeah, I struggle with that kind of person. The economically disadvantaged. It is a reality of our church. That sometimes we intentionally or unintentionally do and say things that exclude people that are often poor. In fact, it's interesting, as I, as I did my research, I talked to people that were part of this church years and years and years ago, long time ago, that are now part of our church, but were parts of other Baptist churches, and they said, when we were little, when I was little, I can remember the grown-up saying, no, nah, you can't really go to Westville, those guys are, are rich, and, and they don't welcome us. <laughs> interesting. It's not a new thing. It's an old thing, and it may be unintentional, but it's real. The homeless community. The homeless community often feel like like being allowed to come to our church or being part of us is, is done as a favor, not as a joy. People of races different than the majority in any group within our church often feel like they're being excluded or held at bay. People who struggle with addiction. And it's not just our church folk, it's many other churches. People that struggle with addiction often say, well, I can't be there, I'm not worthy. And sometimes it's, sometimes it's them, it's not us, but, but often it is us. Members of the LGBTQ community. In fact, the research shows that, that people in the LGBTQ community feel the most excluded of any group of people, the most unable to to connect with a church by definition before they even ask the question. Those who are mentally and physically disabled. And the truth is, sometimes we do it subconsciously, but we've all got to learn where where we drop the ball and can we get better. Hey, Christmas was amazing, wasn't it? Christmas was amazing. But I discovered something, and it was quite accidental, but for a while during Christmas, we excluded our deaf community. I mean, we had a special service where they were part of, which was great, but then you know what we did? We turned the lights off. It was part of the service, it was the lighting candle stuff. And if you're deaf, if you can't see, you can't hear. (laughs) And they're not angry with us, But it was a great moment of learning to go, whoa, we did something there that said to people, well, you know, you're cool with the rest of it, but this part, 
Those with criminal backgrounds often feel excluded. Refugees, which kind of surprised me when we were doing the research because our church has been amazing during xenophobia to, to help people. But often those people have said, We've, we are so glad you helped us. We're so glad you walked out, but, but we couldn't ever find a home here. After the emergency help, we didn't feel like we belonged anymore. And the truth is also people in different age groups. Sometimes we act in ways that say, because you're young, you're not welcome. Because you're old, you're not welcome. Because you're that. It's a hard list. But the truth is, our God wants our church and every church to be a place that says you are welcome here if you're looking for Jesus. Now, guys, you know, we all get nervous like that early church, but what happens then when that happens? And We get there. But when somebody right up front, before they even ask the questions, goes, ah... I can't even ask the question. We can never invite them in to go on this journey. It is risky. It is dangerous. It is messy. But God is clear. Who do I want? Everyone who's seeking me. Who am I wanting to welcome? Everyone. I love recovery ministry. Any kind of recovery ministry. You know why? It's built on this premise. I'm here today at this recovery meeting because I want to overcome my addiction. That's the only qualification. Doesn't matter what other things are going on in your life, that's the only qualification. It doesn't mean I've already overcome it, it doesn't mean, uh, it just means I'm here because that's where I want to go. Imagine if, if everybody who went, oh, I don't know who God is and I want to connect with him. Doesn't matter what my race is, my background, my, my, my sexual orientation, my history, my habits, it doesn't matter. There is a place where they will say, We love you. And we want to help you find out who Jesus is so that He can change you. You know what happens when that happens, don't you? Well, let's read what happened in Acts chapter 10. Verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. Oh gosh, what a prejudice statement right there. Eh? My goodness me, even Gentiles, even children, even old people, even the physically disabled, even poor people, even homeless people, even gay people, even addicted people. Yes, even. But it happened because the early church said, this is going to be hard, this is going to be messy, but you are welcome here. Why? Because we serve a God who welcomes everybody. Take a moment. I'm going to invite Dweez, where are you, to come and sing for us. I'm going to ask you to take a moment and say, God, who do I exclude in my heart? 
Who do I go, Lord, if those people walk through that door, I'm not going to be happy. And guys, all of us have it. All of us do. But together we can say, God, help us to be a place where anybody who wants to find you can come here and find you. Because you are the king of the universe. You made all people, and in your heart, you want everybody to come to an understanding that Jesus loves them. It's a new wine thing, guys. It's a new wine. And new wine can't be put in old wineskins. God, examine my heart. Examine our hearts. Lord, somehow teach us to be a community that when we say all welcome, we mean that. That if people are trying to discover you, that they can come here and discover you. Lord, we know we will fail, but we don't want to. We want to welcome sinners and eat with them, just like you did. Amen.